to hear an anointed, powerful word that will change your life from Treasure Coast Victory Center. Be blessed as your faith goes from one level of glory to another level of glory. Um, I'm Mary, and most of you know me. Yes. And uh, Pastor asked if I would share some of my escapades. This has been the third time I've gone up to Youth with a Mission. And uh, it was probably the more difficult time because of how they wanted us to study. They had us leave our books in the room. We could not take them with us, which caused me conniption fits. And, of course, I was submissive. <laughs> and... Uh, you have to know me. Anyway, so, <laughs> and uh, did complain a bit, but discovered what the whole reason was. So anyway, so let's start. Let's start with prayer. Father, we're so glad you're here. We're so glad for your Son and your Holy Spirit and all that you've done, Lord, that you've saved each one of us. You've called us into your kingdom. You've given us a purpose, Lord. And here we are, and our hearts are towards you. We ask that tonight would be revelation for people, that they would learn, that they would grow, that they would sense your presence, that they would hear from you, Father. So here I am, and here you are, and here they are. And we just want you to know that we love you, we appreciate you, thank you for your word, and we commit this evening into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to start with some pictures, which I love to show you. Now, this trip, the other two trips, I don't know, yeah, can you, you want to turn the table? Yeah, go ahead. Um, the other two trips that I went, I was at the top bunk, and we had five roommates, ages 19 to 26, and uh, this time I was on the bottom bunk, and I had seven roommates, and we had, were in a house filled with 32 young women. So uh, that was an adventure, but it wasn't, it wasn't quite as messy. I'll tell you a little bit of story in a few minutes about that. Um, it, when you're ready, Patrick, I just wanted to show you some faces. And I know I, I sent small pictures to Patrick, so he's going to be working on that. Now, the way Pastor has a new granddaughter, this young couple has a new son. And she is the leader of the school. Her name is Kristen. She's an amazing young woman. And the man in the background is her husband. So this is their first child. He, I believe, is four months old. So she was bouncing in between feeding him and coming in and teaching us. Um, let's see the next uh, slide. All right, this is her family. The man and woman on the left are the directors of the YWAM base in Orlando, and they are her parents. Um, so they are delighting in their child as much as we see Pastor and Becky delighting in their grandchild. So what's the next slide? I believe it's the... This is our class. There were only four of us, and I was surrounded by men. I love it. Um, number one, with the printed shirt, he, he was a leader 
in YWAM, still is, um, but in Amsterdam. So he brought with him uh, a lot of wisdom and a lot of humor. He would make little uh, remarks and we'd fall off our chairs laughing. The next young man, uh, that first young man is named Stephen. The next young man is Cody and he's from North Carolina, the nicest guy you'd ever want to meet. The last gentleman, we called him Bang. His name is Bangali and he is from Africa. So let's go to the next slide. There's Stephen again. Um, I, yeah, let's go to the next slide again. Just to tell you about these young men, this one, his heart of compassion is shown through constantly. And the next one would be Bang. This young man knows five languages, five. And English is not his first language. I believe French might be. I think he's from Kenya. Um, okay, let's show the next picture. And he and I studied together. As you can tell, we were out, outdoors, and they had lots of these wonderful, whatever, I forget what you call them, hammocks, right. And um, it's a 187-acre campus, I believe. So lots of trees, lots of walking areas, and this is where we studied uh, for our class. So what's the next slide? This is our graduation. <laughs> There's uh, everybody's celebrating. And uh, the next slide, I believe, is the schedule. Yeah. Just to show you, I wasn't doing nothing. <laughs> um, okay, let me tell you about our class. And the last slide we'll save for later. Thanks, Patrick. Um, the class is called Word by Heart. Another label for it is Truth by Story. So what we did, we immersed ourselves in the Gospel of Luke for 12 weeks. And the point of the whole thing was to get it in us as if we were eyewitnesses. And so to do that, we just focused on the scriptures. And it's the New Living Testament. So they had given um, word by heart as a school the permission to speak their word out loud and act it out in a sense, but really just tell it from our hearts. And so that actually I discovered is part of meditating on the word. So we'll go into that a little later. Um, what they told us is instead of memorizing word for word, we were going to get word for word, but it would be like instead of beating water with the stick to get the fish, namely the words, to come up. We were going to throw out crumbs and watch the fish come to the surface. This is how they told us. And the way they do it is by visualizing rather than memorizing and then repeating back and forth. So on Monday, we would gather. First of all, before Monday, we would read the scriptures. There were about six to eight passages that we had. And we began from the end and went to the beginning. So we began with the ascension of Jesus, went through his resurrection down back to his cross, down to the trial, and all the way to his birth. So we had six to eight portions, and we went backwards, which is good. I discovered that is a key, actually, to what I learned from there. And Monday, we would study the background. So we'd get out... Um, information from Bible dictionaries and word meanings, and we'd all discuss 
what it might have felt like to be in those particular passages. So Monday was great. We loved, we interacted, we talked about insights God gave us. And then Tuesday began um, trying to tell the story from what we remembered, but then we began talking back and forth. So one of us would say, praise the Lord, and the other one would repeat, praise the Lord. And we'd be looking at, at the scriptures and the other person would not. So we'd be hearing each other say it seven times. It's like, ho-hum, boring. No, it wasn't, because they had us do it, uh, shouting it, uh, telling it as if we were in a secret service, you know, that no one was to know about, using different accents. And I, I love to use my Brooklyn accent and my English accent and my down south accent, which I'll spare you. And, and uh, it was fun. It was fun. <laughs> Y'all, come on down. <laughs> you know, things like that anyway. That's why I didn't do it, just because. Um, <laughs> we, I will. I will. At some point, I probably will. All right. So, but they had us to picture, to put ourselves in the story and see. What we th- and see it in our mind's eye and, and try to feel it. Um, so from the beginning, I'm going to tell you what my goal is for tonight so you keep me on track. I, I want to show you how meditation gets your, the word in your heart. It's not just reading. It's not just memorizing. It's actually in my heart, and it changed me. I began to see Jesus in a light that I've never seen him in. And it, it's almost like I can't describe it to you, but I'll be, I'll be sharing portions of the story that impacted me. Um, so, all right. So, for me to see differently. First of all, I began to see Jesus' perspective from some of these stories. Um, the very first time we ended up with the road to Emmaus, where two of Jesus' followers were coming in and are actually walking to Emmaus away from the scene of the crime, of where the cross was. And they were discouraged, and they were talking among themselves. And suddenly, Jesus appeared and walked right next to them, but God kept them from seeing and recognizing him. And he said, what do you so intently speaking about as you walk along, and they stopped short. Sadness was written across their faces, and they said, one of them, Cleopas, you must be the only person in Jerusalem that doesn't know what has happened all these past days. And Jesus said, what things? And they said, the things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, he was a mighty prophet, and he did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the sight of God and all the people, but our religious leaders handed him over to be condemned, and, and he was crucified. And we had hoped that he, had, he would be the Messiah that would rescue Israel. And then that was three days ago, and Today, some women from our company of his followers amazed us by going to the tomb early and then came back telling us that his body was missing and they had seen angels that told him Jesus is alive. 
And Jesus said to them, oh, foolish people. You find it so hard to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would suffer before entering his glory? And then he explained to them the scriptures as they went on to Emmaus. And they were getting near to home, and he acted as if he would go on. And they said, no, no, stay with us. It's getting late. And so he went with them, and they sat down to eat. And he took bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. And suddenly their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared. (laughs) So that's part of the story. That's part of the joy of being able to share it from your heart, from the scriptures, and seeing it in your mind's eye, and hopefully allowing you all to see it in part two. That was just one of these. When he said foolish, we looked up the word foolish. When he said to them, oh, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe everything the prophets have said. And that word foolish actually means ignorant, not not ignorant, I'm sorry, um, unintelligent, and sensuous. And Pastor Thomas taught us that faith doesn't take into account the senses. Like Abraham could have considered the fact that he was 99 years old and Sarah was old as well, and they were both way past childbearing age. Well, if he considered his senses, he would never have believed and received the promise. But he did. So To be foolish in Jesus' eyes is to consider only the sense realm, what you hear, what you see, what you feel, what you touch, what you taste. And also it's considered unintelligent by the Lord. What? You mean there's something beyond our senses? And to be intelligent, you need to understand that? So that was my first eye-opening, uh-oh, I'd better get ready for this class. The next perspective I saw was the rich versus the poor. And maybe instead of telling you this story, I'll I'll at least uh, tell you. Jesus told a parable about a Pharisee and a despised tax collector. And how the Pharisee said, quite genuinely, I thank you, God, that I'm not like other sinners. I don't cheat and I don't sin and I don't commit adultery and I'm certainly not like tax collector over there. I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of all my income. And I kind of, you know, with the arms and everything, but this guy was sincere. And the reason why I know that is because I found myself in the common room with 32 other girls washing the dishes, where the sign said, please dry your dishes and put them away. And there's the dish drainer and all the dishes are piled up. And I thought, well, God, at least I'm drying my dishes and putting them away. And it was like, wait a minute, that sounds like the Pharisee. (laughs) And then, of course, we have 32 women in a 33-gallon garbage bag. So every day it would be filled. And it's like, you know, people are standing around. And it's like, ah, right here, folks, you know. And I would take it out. And, of course, you'd have to walk it up to throw it away because this one was full and you ha- oh. so I you know was patting myself on the back and realized oh my gosh I'm the Pharisee 
I'm not the, the sinner that knew that he was a sinner. So that opened my eyes there. And the other perspective is blessings and, sor- and sorrows, where Jesus turned the tables and he said, God blesses you who are poor, for the kingdom of God belongs to you. And I almost saw him being rejoicing when he was saying that. Now, this is not just poor like, you know, well, we don't have any chicken in the refrigerator to eat. It's more like destitute. These are people he's saying, you're destitute, you're starving, you're weeping out of deep sorrow, and that's wonderful because you recognize your need for God. And, and the rich, he said, this, this one line, he says, what sorrow awaits you who are rich? For you have now your only happiness. And I'm like, whoa, let me think about that. His perspective was eternity. And when he was talking to them about uh, what great blessings await you when people hate you and exclude you and mock you and curse you as evil because you follow the Son of Man, what blessings await you? Yes, be happy. Yes, leap for joy because your reward is great in heaven. I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. This is not how I live day by day. (laughs) This is not the normal perspective. But he understood. He saw the end from the beginning and knew what was ahead, knew what God had. And he told us that we have rewards when we are excluded for being a Christ follower. Um, Another one is um, in Luke, it's also the same as the Sermon on the Mount. Not the same, but in in variation. Um, Seeing others' needs, who happen to be your enemies, rather than nursing your wounds. It's sort of like with Kurt Warner. I saw that movie, American Underdog. There it is. Um, And Kurt Warner kept leaving the pocket, whatever that was, and they, the, the coach put him out of the game. He said, no, you have to stay in the pocket. Well, every time he stayed in the pocket, he was smashed on the ground, and I was in the movie theater going, ooh, ah, oh. Luann was there with me. She was laughing. But it's like he had to stay in the pocket. So sometimes we have to stay where God puts us, even though it's difficult, and know that God has a reason for it. And as you know, Kurt Warner won an award. Um, I am not a football player, so don't ask me what. Um, <laughs> we're seeking eternal rewards and resembling the Father, that he has compassion on those that are ungrateful and wicked. And the last part was sowing and reaping. where he, We've heard the term, ask and you will receive. But in this one, Jesus is saying, give and you will receive. Whatever. If it's good, you'll get it back. If it's bad, you'll get it back. If it's judging, condemning, you'll get it back. But if it's giving and loving and caring, you'll get that back too. Whatever measure you use will be returned to you. So all of these perspectives of Jesus are, are, are coming into me, and I'm seeing them, and I'm seeing where he is and how his kingdom operates. But the thing that impacted me the most 
is his life and his example. He trusted the word, and he knew the end from the beginning. So I'm going to share with you this portion. This is the most impactful. This is, uh, let me do it. You'll, you'll understand it as I go. Jesus had just had the Last Supper. He had told them that someone would betray him. Um, he was good. He never disclosed the person's name. He never said, yeah, Judas is about to betray me. Um, and he's at, in the garden. He's praying. He had finished praying. He went to his disciples who are asleep. And here comes the mom with Judas. And Judas comes to kiss him, and he says, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And then the disciples, when they saw what was happening, said, Lord, should we fight? We have the swords. And one of them slashed the high priest's slave and cut off his right ear. And Jesus said, enough of this. And he healed the man's ear. And then he turned to the authorities. He turned to the elders and the chief priests and the captains of the guards. And he told them, are you coming out against me as some dangerous revolutionary? I was with you daily in the temple. Why didn't you arrest me then? But this is your moment and the power of darkness when it rains. And that word power is exousia, the delegated authority that Adam gave over to the devil. So he's standing explaining to them who was about to, to arrest him and, and beat him with such confidence and calm. And then they take him away to the high priest's house. Now, this is illegal. So it was in, at night, so many illegalities about this whole thing. So they brought him to the high priest's house and the temple guards, which is, if the Pharisees had known what was going on with the temple guards, they possibly would have stopped it because this too was illegal. They mocked him and they beat him and they blindfolded him and said, prophesy to us, who hit you that time? And then at daybreak, because the priests at least knew that at night they were not allowed to do any trial. So at daybreak, before the sun ever came up, he was led to before the, the chief priests and the elders and the, the teachers of religious law. And they are standing there saying, tell us, are you the Messiah? And he says, if I tell you, you won't believe me. And if I ask you a question, you won't answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated in the place of power at the right hand of God. And at that, they shouted, So, are you claiming to be the Son of God? And he said, You have said it. And what hit me with this is where he said, From now on. Wait a minute. He hasn't been crucified yet. Hold on. He hasn't resurrected yet. Hold on. From now on? The Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of God? Yeah, because he knew the end from the beginning. And he knew who he was, and he was able to stand before them 
and tell them who he was without hesitation and knowing that scriptures are true, that it would come to pass. And we have actually yet to see that, but it's true. So here's my my challenge to us, all of us. Are we able to trust the word and know who we are and know the end from the beginning? And here's how I believe this time at YWAM has taught me. If we meditate on the word, we will get it so deep in our hearts, it becomes a part of who we are. And if it becomes a part of who we are, no one's ever going to take it from us. That we're going to be able to stand, even in dark times, even in perilous times, even if there's persecution coming. So, let's, let's consider this. It's not It's seeing beyond where we are now. It's not, I will be, but I am now. We are seated now in heavenly places. So let me show you uh, a few things. Okay, here's what I like. From now on, I did look that word up just to make sure that that's really what I understood, what it's saying. And here's um, a translation. It does, it's two words. The King James uses the word hereafter, but that doesn't convey the real meaning of it. Uh, A translator named West, I believe that's how you say it, said it this way. But from this time forth, as characterized by what is taking place right now with the Pharisees and the leaders, and in contrast to it, the case shall be as follows. The Son of Man will be seated on the right hand of the power of God. So it's from this time forth, because of what's taking place. When he said, you've said it to me, that's saying, your actions are declaring that I am the Son of God. You wouldn't be doing this except that I was. Um, And actually, it's a fulfillment of a prophecy in Daniel chapter 7. Um, and I won't read it just because I want to watch the time as well. So here's, here's a few of the sayings that do the same thing. Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified when Judas left from the Last Supper. Wait a minute, he has, he has yet to be crucified. He has yet to go through all that suffering. Now is the Son of Man glorified. And then he's talking to Nicodemus, Jesus, and he says, No man has ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. So it's like, what? And it's not gobbledygook. He was seated with the Father in the Father, the Father in him. The perspective that he had is the one that we need, that we are who he says we are, even if it doesn't look like it. That's that's for me too, (laughs) because the word is true, and he's done it. And he sees it as completed in us. Um, what about the, uh, Abraham in Romans? God calls those things which be not as though they are. And what about Hebrews 12, 2? For the joy that was set before him on the cross, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God. So those are some proof texts for you. All right, so why why meditate? Because I want to talk about image here. 
part of meditation is imagining, picturing things in your mind. Um, in Hebrews, it says, Jesus is the express image of God, meaning an exact copy or representation, exact. But then it says in 2 Corinthians, we are changed into the same image. So let's turn there, 2 Corinthians 3.18. And these two words, Jesus is the express image, is one Greek word, and then when we're talking about us, changed into the same image, it's a, it's a separate Greek word. And they are revealing. So 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And we're going to the end in verse 18. There are two parts to this verse. Let's see if we can catch them. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So what I want us to see to begin with is we are changed into the same image from glory to glory. And that same image means a likeness, a representation, a resemblance. Okay, so I want to think about those two. Jesus is the exact copy or representation of God, and we are being changed into a representation and a resemblance. Now, where have I heard those two words before? They're in Genesis 1.26. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion. So what those two words in Hebrew are the exact same words representation is image in Hebrew. Um, and likeness is resemblance. So God is delegating his authority to us as a representative of him and to resemble him. So those are the Hebrew words, and here are the Greek words, and we are being changed back to what God originally planned. All right, so what's the second part of that? It says, we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass, we are changed, as by the Spirit of the Lord. So here we are. Beholding as in a glass is one Greek word, and it means to mirror oneself or to see reflected or to gaze with wide open eyes as at something remarkable. That's what meditation is. We're looking at the word of God, the living word of the living God, and we are gazing in it as at, as at something remarkable. And as we absorb it into us, we are changed. And that's what I think some of us... Uh, our mind, our will, our emotion, our soul, which is that's what comprises our soul, is what needs changing. Our spirit, when we receive the Lord Jesus as our Savior and our Lord, it's changed immediately. The Spirit of God is united with our spirit. But our minds and our wills and our emotions need revision. 
Otherwise, we'll all just be doing whatever. And that's why we're in the kingdom of God, to understand what his kingdom is about so we can live in union with him and acting like him. All right, I want you to turn to Romans 8. And let's look at something else. One more proof text that we are now what God has said we are. Romans 8, verse 29. It's talking about God and us. For whom he did foreknow, that's us, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn amongst many brethren. So, There it is again, that that's God's desire for us to be conformed to the image of Jesus. But look at verse 30, and this is Paul writing this gospel by the Holy Spirit. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. That is in past tense. Whoops, wait a minute. I thought we were going to be glorified when we get to heaven. Well, we, we are. We'll be complete with, with the glory of God there, but um, here it is. Already consummated is what that is. It's finished, it's completed, it's perfected. The work of glorification, it says the step implied in saying he glorified us, is both complete and certain in God's eyes. It says it's complete to God, but successive steps in time for us. So God is ever-present. He's in the past. He's in the future. He's in the now. He's in the now for us. But he sees it all as complete. So this is my challenge for me and for you, that if we see the end from the beginning, we'll be able to walk in it and know that we are, we are what he says we are now. And a lot of you I know do walk that way. I've needed to get my mind wrapped around that, even as that song, The Champion, says. You know, I tried so hard to believe it and understand it, but it's just a matter of receiving what his word says as a gift because it's his grace that's done it. Um, Okay. Let's see. All right. So let's turn to Psalm 1. Let's talk a little bit about meditation, what it is. And it's interesting... um, Psalm 1 and Joshua 1.8 are very similar in what they're telling us to do. So Psalm 1, the first three verses, Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Thank you, Father, so much for 
the leaf shall not wither. I'm holding on to that desperately here. <laughs> you know? uh, if I look in the mirror, I see some leaves withering, and it's like, okay, we'll get those wrinkles out soon. <laughs> um, but that's, yeah, I was trying to be funny there, sorry. Okay, <laughs> so Webster's is saying ponder. Ponder is the word that's used in this, um, his delight, in, in his law does he meditate day and night. And it means, it's the mind, to weigh in the mind carefully, to use slow or careful reasoning before forming an opinion, to think or consider especially quietly, deeply, and with a concern for what really matters. It's actually the simplest way to describe meditation is to read your Bible with a devotional heart. In other words, to read it slowly, carefully. You can pray it back to God. You can consider it. You're not just reading it to get the chapter finished, and I, I read through Psalm 1 pretty quickly like that, but to really consider. And, and the handout that I gave you um, gives you some questions to ask, gives you some thoughts to ponder regarding those three verses to help you in your devotion time. Okay, to read devotionally is not to gain information or to learn something new. It's to deepen your relationship to God. It's to nourish your soul and your spirit. It's to absorb the passage and make it a part of who you are. Um, it's to consider, and I like that, uh, has something to do with imagination. The word consider actually comes from to observe the stars. So I think of Abraham where God said, as many of the stars in the sky for multitude, that's how many seed you're going to have. And it's like... Well, every night, Abraham was out in his tent looking up at the stars, just imagining them as children for him. Um, the way I think about reading the Bible that way or meditating, it's the difference between me brushing my teeth and expecting them in the mirror and my dental hygienist finding two cavities to charge me $600 for. <laughs> so... The hygienist is really carefully examining what's going on in your mouth and finding difficulties and trying to correct them. But if we're just brushing our teeth, you know, it's, an, it's a habit. We just do it every day and we hardly even think about it. So sometimes we approach the Bible like that. Well, I've got to get my five minutes of Bible reading in. No. Something that I've been hearing lately with uh, successful people is that they call it an hour of power. Whether they break it up in 20-minute segments throughout the day or they take it the beginning of the day or the end of the day, they make that time for themselves to invest in their relationship with God. And that's what I'm seeing, that it does take a habit being formed and saying, God, I'm putting you first. And I think of Pastor Tom's stories he was at the post office, a busy day ahead, a long day ahead. He would get up at 5 o'clock on purpose, earlier than needful, to spend time with the Lord. And that's, I'm challenging us to do the same if we don't already, which I'm sure many of you do, if not all. Um, it also means to murmur. Meditation means to murmur. That's where our mouth gets involved. So we're talking 
as well as thinking. And where now I want to challenge you to imagine as well. In Greek, let's turn to 1 Timothy 4.15. And this, of course, is the New Testament, and so it will be the Greek, not the Hebrew. Um, and if I could find it, it'd be good. It's right in front of Hebrews. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 15. Meditate upon these things that Paul was saying above. I'll let you read that another time. Give thyself wholly to them, completely to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. So just a little side note, not only um, does meditation make us wiser than all our teachers, uh, but it also gives the profiting, your profiting, to appear to everybody. Um, in the Greek, it actually means to meditate is to take care of, to be of interest, to concern yourself with, and especially by implication, to revolve in the mind. I just think of like, okay, Walmart or jewelry stores where they have the glass counters and they have all the shiny jewels and the light hits them and they're all different, you know, and so you have a diamond that has all the different cuts in it and as you turn it in the light, you can see the different facets of it. So I think of that, a diamond in the light. And it's something like Moses stepping aside to see this burning bush that wasn't being consumed. It's like, well, let me examine this more carefully. And as he's looking, God speaks to him. And that's what happens when we spend time in the word like that. We give God a chance to speak to us through his word. All right. Um, all right, so... Let, let me get a little more practical. Um, yes, good idea, Patrick. Thank you. This is a wonderful picture. Some of you may know about vision boards. This is a kangaroo straight from Australia. And um, it's on my vision board because I believe the Lord has told me to go to Australia at some point when it's not in lockdown. And so um, this is uh, an illustration of meditation. Here's a picture all right, I've formed it in my mind. Now I'm going to put myself in it. I'm going to see myself in it. And the way I do that is by my senses. I can feel the fur on the kangaroo. I can hear the waves lapping up on the shore. I can feel the breeze coming through the air. I can see the clouds and the kangaroo, obviously, and I can feel the sand under my feet. I'm there. Now all I have to do is say, God, thank you that I'm here in Australia. I'm thanking you ahead of time, just the way you tell us to do. Just thank you, God, that I don't have to figure out how. All I have to do is recognize you, and day to day, you will direct my steps. So there's a, a thing for picture. Picture yourself in the Word. I haven't done it yet, but I challenge you. Ephesians, picture yourself in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Picture yourself with the armor of God. See that belt of truth around you. And for me, it's the word of God, the love of God, that keeps every other piece of armor together. So use that in your, in your study of the word. Um, all right, let's turn to Joshua chapter 1. 
And let's see how some of these principles apply to him. So it's, it's pondering. It's reflecting. It's revolving it around in your mind. It's also speaking because we know that when we fill our hearts with something, our mouths will speak. So that's going to be, uh, I found in conversations, it's funny, I've started to quote some of these scriptures that I've learned because they apply. And it's like, hey, did you know Jesus said, you know, and it's because it's in my heart. And what we were doing back and forth was repeating the verse. So you could do that at home. You can just say it out loud and then repeat it and look at it. Say it out loud and then look up and repeat it, and it'll get it working in your heart and mind. Um, All right, Joshua chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. I want us to see a progression here. Be strong and of a good courage. This is God talking to Joshua after Moses has died. For unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Okay, here's the vision. Here's the call of God. Here's God's purposes right here. I want you to give this people the land. All right. And then he says, Only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law. Whoops, wait a minute. I thought he was supposed to conquer the land, not obey the word. Excuse me? And then it says, Which Moses, my servant, commanded thee, turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. Oh, I see. So in order for us to prosper, we have to do it God's way. And we have to follow his lead and hear his word and do it God's way. And then it will succeed. And then the next verse, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. Okay, hold on. But thou shalt meditate therein day and night. The not departing out of his mouth is a result of what follows. If he's meditating day and night, it's going to come out of your mouth. It's not something you have to force necessarily. Just fill your heart with the word, and it will come out. Um, So, okay, Hearing, if it doesn't come out of our mouths, we're going to hear. Now, there are three ways of learning. There's styles of learning, they tell us. There may be seven, but three primarily. One is by listening to the word. The the, uh, young man from Africa, that was his best way of learning, was by hearing it. So he would sit at the front. And I'll, I'll describe it. So if your mother tells you the stove can burn you, don't touch it. If someone's a listener and that's how they learn, they hear what the mother is saying, they believe it, and they never touch the stove. Okay, the next one is to see it, which is to meditate there in day and night. So you're picturing it, you're seeing it in your mind's eye. So if your mother says, don't touch the stove, it can burn you, you see your little brother touch it, find out what happens when that happens, and then you never touch it after that. So he learned by seeing his brother get burned, unfortunately, but he didn't. But then there's a third way, and so that's part of the scripture right after that. So this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do. 
So to observe there in Hebrew is by paying attention, to concern yourself with doing, or in my opinion, touching, actually hands-on. And that's how some people learn also. But the, for the mother that said, this, don't touch the stove, it can burn you, that's the one that has to touch the stove, find out what happens, and then go on from there. So it's either hearing, learning, uh, hearing rather, seeing or touching um, that we're going to learn. And all three are in this passage of scripture, which is part of meditation. Um, and then the very, of course, the result is then thou shalt make thy way prosperous. And that means to push forward. And that's where we want to go. We want to invade this year. So we want to go forward. And we'll make our way prosperous. And then thou shalt have good success. And that means to be careful, to consider all circumstances and the possible consequences before you act, which is really a wise thing to do which we don't often do that often, but we try. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, one last thing, I want to show it to you rather than tell it to you. I can say out loud, just il il illustrating what I just said, I can say to you, I have an idea. And then I can lift this up so you can not only just hear me say it, you can actually see the word I-D-E-A, right? But if I lift up a light bulb, a picture of a light bulb, it's kind of like gets, do you get the picture? That's a pun that's intended. That the picture is what brings it to our conscious mind very strongly, better than a word spoken or a word seen. So I'm encouraging you to start picturing the scripture. Now, let me do one more scripture, and then we're done. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 11. And we'll go to verses 13 through 16. And this sort of sums up things that I've tried to share with you. And actually, Luann, you wanna, do you want to sing that song? Patrick, are you back there? Do you have that song, The Champion? All right, I'm going to make you sing it. Is that okay? And we'll sing it. We'll sing it with you. We'll sing it with you. It'll be all right. Everybody just <laughs> we'll sing it with you. It's all right. It's all right. Okay, so let's read Hebrews 11. I'm sorry, I didn't think that was going to... Okay. Oh, little, what little I know about worship leading. Um, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. So we're talking about seeing them in our hearts and our minds and were persuaded of them and embraced them. To me, that says that they received that as part of who they were. They embraced them. It became part of their lives. And 
confessed, here's where the speaking comes in, that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. Now this is the unseen country. And truly if they had been mindful, which is this is something that we're thinking about, they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly, the unseen realm of God. Wherefore, and I love this part, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city, and he has prepared for us a calling, an end. What does it say? He's, he, the plans that he has for us are good and to give us an expected end. And, um, oh, there's another scripture and it just went through like that. But he has, oh, I know. It's that we're to proclaim that he is coming again. That's the hard part for me. I don't want to appear foolish. God forbid that I should look foolish. Uh, <laughs> but I do it anyway, so why not? To especially to proclaim truth, that Jesus is coming. There is an end to this world as we know it, and there is an eternity. So let's stand not only in trusting the word of God, but seeing the end from the beginning and being able to share the word as if we were living it because we are. Mm -hmm.